we get into it. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. Father, I just pray that um, we would walk out of here in awe of you and just um, blown away by your greatness and and your uh, faithfulness to so many generations. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, raise your hand if you've ever seen this TV show on called Wipeout. Have any of you ever seen Wipeout? Okay. If you haven't seen it, it's basically this ridiculous adult obstacle course. That's the best way to describe it. And and so the way it works is you you go through these different obstacles, and then the the top people keep moving on to, you know, to the final round. I don't even remember what they call the final round, but it's the final round. And and these these top three people compete in this giant obstacle course. And and a friend of mine was actually on the show um, last year, and he described that, that while he was on Wipeout, it's what you see on TV is, it's real. Like, he had, like, real bruises. It's painful, you know? You're, you're going through these things. And so it looks very easy. Basically, they give you this mission. So he actually did pretty well. He made it to the final, um, whatever you call it, the final round. He made it. He was one of the final three people. And so they tell you, you know, you have to get from point A to point B and just get there as quick as you can, which, in theory, if you've never seen the show, that sounds... Pretty easy. Just get from here to there. That, that's a pretty simple thing. But in reality, what, what you don't know or what they show you as the show goes on is you start off like going down some crazy chute. You go flying out into the air. You, you climb up on something that has slime all over it so it's slippery. Then the thing starts spinning around and you're climbing. There's things that come out and like punch you. It's crazy. There's all these obstacles. And so what seems like a very easy thing to get from point A to point B winds up sometimes taking people, oh, I don't know, like 9, 10, 11, 12 minutes. Um, And some people don't even finish at all. They get like halfway through. They've been punched so many times. They've been spun off the thing. They're like, all right, forget it. I'm done with this. Forget this garbage. And and so they just quit. They they just, just end the thing together. For the record, my, my friend did not win. He finished in second place. But it was still cool to say I, I saw this guy on, on Wipeout getting beat up pretty thoroughly by, by all these crazy obstacles. Well, I was thinking about that this week as, as I was preparing uh, to share because I, I want to talk and, and share a piece of scripture uh, that, that deals with being on a mission and, and having a goal in mind. And I was thinking about how so often we, we all know what the goal is and I'm going to tell you in a minute. Uh, we, we all know what our goal is, but so often we, we get so distracted or we get beat up by life and, and we just stop and we stop following our mission. And, and so I want to share with you this morning a little bit about um, an example that Peter gives us in the Bible of, of his mission and of his life. And, and I recognize that this, this story isn't the, it's not in the Bible specifically for us to be sitting here in 2014 going, all right, so we need to do exactly that. But I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from this, uh, from this story. So if you have your pew Bibles in front of you, if you can open up to the, the book of Acts chapter 12. Take a moment to turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, we're going to begin at verse 1. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. I'm sure some of you have heard the story before, but again, I know there's sometimes a tendency, once you've heard the story and we start the first few verses, there's sometimes a tendency to go, 
uh, oh, I know this one. I know how it ends. And, and you kind of zone out. And so I would encourage you, as, as we're reading through these verses here and we're reading through this story, don't zone out. Try to see it through fresh eyes and, and pretend that you're hearing this as if you've never heard this story before and as if you're hearing it for the very first time. We're going to begin at verse 1 and we're going to go up to verse 17. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to break him out before the people. Uh, sorry, to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Up to verse 10. When uh, When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also uh, also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, He described to them how the Lord led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Uh, A little background just for me. I I always kind of like to know where we are in history and what's what's going on here. This guy named Herod is actually Herod Agrippa. He's actually the grandson of Herod the Great. And so he reigned in, uh, in in this area where he was reigning from A.D. 37 to A.D. 42. So this is, uh, you know, right around that time frame. And, and what happened was Herod Agrippa had actually lived in Rome but had run up lots of debt in Rome. So escaped Rome to go to this town in northern Israel where he was crowned king and ruler. And so he's in charge of all these, this, this large Jewish population. So in order to appease the people and to keep his popularity up there, um, he, he did anything he could do to please the Jews. 
Well, if you think of that time frame, A.D. 38 to A.D. 42, or A.D. 37 to A.D. 42, you knew that there was a lot of tension between the Jews and the Christians. And so if he's trying to please the Jews, what does he do? He, he tortures and, and punishes the Christians. And this made, at this time, this made the Jewish people much happier. And so that's a little history of what's going on here. So immediately, right away, at verse, verse 1 there, he, right off the bat, we find out he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And, and as, as I studied this a little bit more, the sword was usually the, the, um, the instrument of death for those who are teaching false religions. And so he claimed that, that James was teaching a false religion, so he used the sword to kill him. And, and, and now he has, he's captured Peter. And, and it says right here that in um, verse, verse 3, that it was the days of the unleavened bread. This is all strategic by this man named Herod Agrippa. This is all strategy because this time of the unleavened bread was always the week right after Passover. And so there were a ton of Jewish people that would come in to the city to be there. And so he's kind of doing this to showcase Hey, look at me. I caught these two Christians. One's going to be killed, and I got another one that's, that he's about to be killed. And so there's no doubt in my mind and no doubt in most historians' mind that Peter was in jail not to undergo some trial coming up or to, you know, maybe we'll release him. We'll see how the overcrowding situation's going. No, they're going to kill him. There's no doubt about it that he is about to be killed. And so that's a little background of where this story takes place. And so if you have your notes, I, I have three points that I think is really interesting um, that, that we can glean from Peter's mission, Peter's journey that he's on throughout the story. And, and the first little blank on the, the note thing, uh, the back of your, whatever the white piece of paper is called, is the element of the unknown. The element of the unknown. I read those first four verses, and, and I really struggle with verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a, with a sword. Well, that's not fair. Why, why is James killed and not Peter? Why, is, why, is, why, doesn't, John, why doesn't God spare James? If, he, if he's about to spare Peter just days later, why does he spare Peter but not James? That, that doesn't seem fair. And, and so Peter, I'm sure, is wrestling with the same question as well as he's sitting in his jail cell. Oh, God, are, am I going to be spared? Am I not going to be spared? This seems so unfair. He was doing your work. Why would he be killed? God, you're God. You can do anything. Why didn't you intervene in that point? And I think it's kind of interesting that, that this story is a real story that took place thousands of years ago, yet here we are thousands of years later, Asking some of those same questions, right? Why did, you know, a car accident, why did this person survive and not that person? Why is, um, you know, why is this person um, so blessed and why is this person, every, every single thing that, that goes on in their life, it seems like they're hitting a, a you know, they're being detoured constantly. Their family, their, their finances, their, their health. And, and it, it doesn't always seem fair. And if you were hoping I'd give you a, a simple little answer to fill in the blank, well, sorry, I'm, I'm not that, that good. Because there is no simple little answer of, of why. And, and so there is the element of the unknown. But we need to know this, that God is sovereign and God works all things together for his good, not necessarily for us to know 
everything that's going to happen. And so I know in our lives and in your lives, we've had times where we go, God, this, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. Are you kidding me? What? Why couldn't you intervene at this point? You're God. But we need to recognize that God allowed evil into this world, and he promises that one day he will destroy all evil in this world. But in the meantime, we need to recognize, remember the story of Job. We need to recognize that in all things, God is still God, and God is still sovereign. Throughout all of the book of Job, if you've never read Job, take some time this week to read through it. Talk about a bad few weeks uh, or years. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I love the refrain that, that Job says. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. He never gives that up. It, he, he's, not, he's not acting. He's not putting on a happy face going, everything's great. I, I, I lost my kids. I lost my job. I lost my land. He's not acting. He's not fake. But he's, he's saying, you know what, I don't understand why everything happens, but I recognize that God is sovereign. And so I think one point that we can glean from this is that we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he is going to work all things together for his good. But the second point that I think we can come away from this is we need to make sure we have an accurate source. Because, you know, I can trust that, I don't know, that this chair will start, I don't know, dancing. But that's ridiculous because this chair has no power. And so we need to recognize that we have a source that has power. And so the second point in your outline is the source of prayer. The source of prayer. And this is where I'm going to look at the the majority of the text, verses 5 through 16, is Peter is imprisoned and most of the people that he has spent a good majority of his time on earth are recognizing he is about to die. This is not going to be ending well for Peter. They don't just give up and go, oh, well, whatever's supposed to happen will happen. You know, know, too bad for him. No, they spend time fervently over and over and over again, praying and praying and praying for his release, for his protection, for his safety. And God delivers. See, I love the response of his church, if you will. They don't stop praying. They prayed individually. It says they gathered in homes to pray. I think, what would that look like if if we as a church in New Village and and the, the churches around here on Long Island, if we actively gathered on a weekly basis in homes just praying Pouring our hearts out, God, I pray that you change this situation. I pray that you change my neighbor's heart. I pray that you change my my relative's heart. And if we ached and pained for these people. But I think, um, you know, so often we we become somewhat callous. And and we go, you know, I don't want to be hurt again. So, you know, I I don't want to get my hopes up that God might answer my prayer. So I'm going to just kind of become cynical and... If things happen to go well, if the person happens to be healed or happens to be released, great. But I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket because I don't want to be disappointed. But when we do that, aren't we cheapening God? Aren't we cheapening who he is? Aren't we forgetting that he is the God, the creator of the entire world? 
this idea of, uh, I, I don't know if this version read it, if I read it in this version, but they use the word squadron. Uh, there, there, were, there were four squadrons um, that, that guarded Peter. And, and so each squadron contained four guards. And two guards were actually, would be chained, literally chained to Peter. And two guards would be standing outside the jail cell. And so every few hours, they would rotate the squadron so that no one would get tired. That no one. So this is pretty heavy duty. We're talking 16 guards to guard this guy, Peter. Peter didn't have a weapon on him. He, didn't, he wasn't saying, hey, I'm planning my great escape. They're, they're just really actively guarding him. And so one against 16, your odds are not very good, especially when you're in chains. Oh, and you're in a jail cell also. But again, I love this reminder that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And so when we, when we become cynical in our prayer life and we go, eh, I don't know if he can really do that, aren't, we're cheapening the power of God. We're, we're forgetting how great our God truly is. And, and that's one of those deterrents, I think, that kind of gets us off mission of, eh, prayer, it doesn't always work. Really? We're forgetting how great our God is. And then we have this interesting character that we don't often hear about, this lady named Rhoda. I don't know if you've heard too many sermons on Rhoda before. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on Rhoda. But, but Rhoda is the servant girl, and she answers the door. And I love this reaction. Here it is. Um, sorry, let me make sure I have the right verse. Verse 13. When he knocked at the door, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy... She did not open the gate, but she ran in and announced that Peter was standing in the front of the gate. So uh, imagine, like, I always try and picture what this looks like, and, you know, because this really happened. So Peter has just this miraculous escape from jail. Like, this is unbelievable. He goes running to his closest friends and family, knocks on the door. Who is it? It's Peter. Oh, that's awesome. And then she runs the other way, like, uh... Are you going to open the door? And he's just standing there. And she goes back. And look at what their response is in verse 15. I don't know if we have the same version, same translation. I think we do. But it says, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But then she kept insisting. So, like, this sounds like this is a conversation going on for a while. Peter's probably like, uh... Do I knock again? This is getting awkward. Like, what? Hello? But she kept insisting. And then they said, it is his angel. Now, I, I read this a bunch of times, not understanding this, but the more I studied it and looked into it, there was a Jewish tradition back then. Now, remember, these people are Christ followers, but there was a Jewish tradition back then that people's guardian angel could take their form. This was like a superstition that uh, their guardian angel could take the form of a person. Obviously, we know that this isn't true, but that at any time uh, a person's form could be, uh, a, a person can take the form of, as a guardian angel, or am I saying that backwards? A guardian angel can take the form of any person. And so they start buying into the superstition because once again, they're going, this, you're out of your mind. This can't be true. There's 16 guards guarding him. He's due to die tomorrow. There's no way Herod would have allowed this. This is going to look really bad for Herod. All the Jews are gathered in the city. This can't happen. But it did. And, and I love the response because they, even though they have been praying fervently, they have been, 
waiting and, and just begging for God, even they were going, what? I, how? God, how did this happen? I think we need to be reminded that in Scripture, God says, nothing's impossible. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. I think too often in our lives when we pray, we kind of half-heartedly pray and we, we hold back a bit going, all right, I know you're God, I know you're powerful, but I don't, this is a big one for you. <laughs> and and we, we don't recognize how truly great God is and that he can do anything. And so I wonder what it would look like at New Village Church if we, as a corporate body here, were just praying, pouring out our hearts on a daily basis, praying for our neighbors, praying for revival in our neighborhood, praying for revival on Long Island, that people would come to know Christ. Is it literally possible for us to have 3,000 people in the sanctuary next week? It is. It seems crazy. Is it possible that there wouldn't be enough churches on Long Island to hold people in because next week at this time, the church doors are overflowing with people and they're packed? Now, you and I are going, come on, we're on Long Island. I know how this goes. But it can because our God is great and can do anything. And so I think myself and all of us, we need to be reminded that our prayer life should not be 10-second prayers of, hey, God, thanks for the weather. Pray for a great day and pray that we don't get sick. Amen. If that's our prayer lives, we're, we're cheapening the fact that we're in the presence of the Almighty God. And so when we pray, I, I want to encourage us to pray with passion for the lost and pray with passion for our loved ones and pray with passion for our church. And this brings me to the last point. I'm going to spend the most time on this one because to me this is the biggest thing, is we need to be focused on the mission. Focused on the mission. The last verse here, Peter's response when, he fi- when they finally let him in, he says this, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren, And then he left and went to another place. Now, just to clarify, because it's a little confusing. James, I said James was dead. This is the other James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. So he says, report this to James, brother of Jesus, and, and report to the rest of the body what God has done. And then these last few words, then he left and went to another place. See, Peter recognizes his mission. His goal, it it wasn't to get out of prison and then kick back and be like, dude, I've got to write a book about this. This was a crazy night. Let me tell you. No, he realizes that his life is still going forward. He still has a mission in life. Flip over with me, if you can, to to chapter 15, a few pages over, because I want to know where he went next. Chapter 15, verse 6. Flip over to chapter, chapter 15, Acts 15, verse 6. So where did he go? Where did he go? Where did he leave to that night? Because it doesn't say he went to fill in the blank. So, so here's where he went. The apostles, starting at verse 6, chapter 15. 
The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of your disciples a yoke which was neither our fathers nor we who have have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way they also are. What is, where does he go after he's released from jail? Does he go into like some witness protection program? No. He goes and testifies before the council about how great his God is. He doesn't slither back. He doesn't hide. He continues his mission, realizing that what could happen? He could be thrown right back in jail. But he doesn't care because he recognizes his mission. I wonder if we recognize our mission. I said to a bunch of middle school kids this weekend, we were actually on a middle school retreat out at Shelter Island. Um, they're crazy, by the way. Side note, middle schoolers. Um, we love them, though. Um, and, and, and I said to them, what is our purpose here on earth? What, if you had to boil it down as a Christian, what is your purpose? Give me a one sentence. And a bunch of them stared back at me, no, not able to answer that. And I said, okay, as a Christian, if you had to boil down, love people, that's good, that's good. What else? Do we we have a mission? Are are we going for something? What is our mission? And and I I described to them our mission, and and I used the Great Commission, because I, I believe, as a Christian, that's our goal. Flip over with me. I know this is a very familiar thing, but flip with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Some of Jesus' last words here on earth. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And these should be familiar words, but I think we, we can never hear them enough. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's pretty clear here. What our mission is on earth as Christians is to make disciples. Make disciples. That's it. If you want to, well, don't really leave right now. But that's it. Like, that's the goal. That's the mission. Make disciples. I'm a visual person. So just to give you a quick visual, it's kind of like this. If I had... Uh, you know, a, a really random job where I was hired and, and the boss said to me, I, I have a very simple task for you. I have these papers on this one stand over here and I need you to move these papers from this stand to that music stand over there. Okay, th- then what? Nope, that's it. You, ju- you just need to move them from here to here. But the catch is I'm going to be leaving and I want that done by the time I get back. I want all these papers moved from this stand to this stand. 
I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. You'll have ample time to move them. You'll have enough time, but you need to move them. That's your job. All right, that's pretty easy. There's, there's no catch. Or, nope, that, that's it. That's your mission. Move the papers from that stand to that stand. If my boss then left, wouldn't it be a bit odd if I sat down for a while and I said, hmm, let me look up the history of paper, because that's pr- pretty interesting. Let me look up, let me form a committee and talk about paper, because that's interesting, and talk about how we might move the paper from one stand to another. Wouldn't it be weird if I said, let me look up the word paper in Greek and in Hebrew and just find out how to translate the word paper, but I'm never moving the paper. That would be ridiculous. Of course I'm not going to do those things. Now, those aren't, I mean, they're not bad things, but they're not what my mission is. I'm going to literally pick up the paper, and I'm going to start moving it. And then I'm going to pick up the next paper, and I'm going to move it. Because I want to do what my boss asked me to do. We have a mission. As Christians and as believers, we have a mission. And our mission is to make disciples. But I wonder so often, don't we... And I'm not mocking these things. These are good things to have a discipleship committee. And those are good. And to find out what discipleship looks like, those are all great things. But aren't they pointless if we don't make disciples? Like, why are we having these committees? Why are we translating these words? Why are we reading books on it if we're not actually doing it? I... um. I met with a team that came from Michigan. They, their, their youth group came from Michigan. And uh, long story, the, the connection. But basically, they were in uh, New York City for part of the week about a month ago and Long Island for the other part of the week. And, and I went in and I met with the youth pastor there. And we were talking about why they came from Michigan to, to Long Island and to New York. And she said, I'll be honest with you, we, we've looked into all different parts of the country, all different parts of the world to do missions. And she said, uh, you've lived on Long Island for a while? I said, yeah, I, I grew up here and moved away and came back. She said, man, Long Island, that's a mission field. I was like, you're right. She said, I don't know any other place in the country that's like Long Island, as I did my research. And she started throwing these numbers at me. And I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah, you're right. Uh, it, it's crazy where we live is so unlike most parts of our country. I don't know, some of you maybe have lived in other parts of the country. It's not like Long Island. And, and I mean, in many ways. But, but, and some of that's good. We, we have many great things here in Long Island. But as Christians, man, we have such a mission field. And I think it's ironic that teams are coming from other parts of the country to share Christ here on Long Island. It's like the way we used to go and do overseas missions all the time, now people are coming here because there are so many lost people here on Long Island. We have this mission field. We have this opportunity. I want you to do something that we don't normally do, but if if you have a pencil, if if you have room on your white piece of paper, if you can make a little chart, can you make just a square with three columns? If you could just take a moment... Play along with me for a second here. Make a, make a chart with three columns. And, and at, the top, at the top column, on the, the left column, if you can write 2014, like the year. 
At the middle column, you can write past five years. Like past five years. And then in the last column, if you could write ever. E-V-E-R. I want you to just take a minute. I'll, I'll keep it quiet for about 30 seconds or a minute or so. I just want you to think for a second, who are some people that you have discipled in 2014? Who have you shared Christ with or maybe come alongside and said, hey, I want to help you in your spiritual walk this year, in the past five months? And then I want you to think in the past five years, who have you shared Christ with? Who have you maybe shared your story with? Who have you come alongside, maybe a new younger Christian in the faith in the past five years? And then finally, I just want you to list the names of anybody that you have ever shared Christ with, shared your story, shared your testimony, discipled, poured into, prayed for, read the word together. Let's take a minute and just start filling that paper with any names that come to your mind. And I'll keep it quiet for a minute. Our mission is to be making disciples. We should be making disciples. And so I say this, and I have us do this little activity, not to guilt anybody and be like, oh man, I only have one name written down. I don't have any names written down. It's more just as a reminder, we're on a mission. Okay, you don't have any names written on your paper? Well, let's go. Come on. Let's start, start today. Who can you reach out to? Who's a newer Christian maybe that just start attend, started attending here? Who's maybe someone that you work with that, that comes alongside you that you see on a daily basis that, you know what, you see them all the time. You talk about sports. You talk about the weather that maybe you can share Christ with. Let me remind you, our job is not to make people Christians. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But our job is to plant the seed of the Holy Spirit and to, to tell about Christ and to open the doors of conversation so that we can start sharing our testimony and share how great our God is. But we're not doing this on our own. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the power of prayer is unbelievable. If we walk into something without spending time in prayer, I, I don't know, it, but, but you're not fully prepared. And so going back to that last point before, we need to be praying with expectation that God will honor our faithfulness. And we need to remember our mission here on earth is to be reaching the lost. And if you want to tell me after the service you don't know anyone that's not a Christian or you're lost, I'll give you a whole bunch of people that, that we can walk right out here, right onto Elliott Street and right, right down these streets because we're surrounded are they bad people? No. They're great people, a lot of them. But we need to be willing to share our faith and share this incredible gift that we've been given. Don't let the past deter you. Bad experiences. Some people go, ah, 
you won't believe this, but back in 1992, I tried to share my faith with my coworker, and she laughed at me. So I'm never doing that again. What? 1992, really? Uh, but, Come on, we can't use those as obstacles that that are going to knock us out and keep us down. We need to continue staying on mission and staying focused. I want to encourage you to not walk out of here feeling guilty, but walk out of here with a hope. Because there there are so many of us within this church that if I gave you an hour to write down names, some of you would still be writing. There's people in this church, there's older members of our church that take out younger members and newer Christians on a weekly basis and just have lunch with them and pour into them and pray for them. There's some of you that go and serve each other and serve your neighbors anonymously without talking, without, without making it a big deal. And you just do it because you're serving Christ. We're doing great things here at New Village, and I'm so encouraged. But I want to remind us, and some of us that maybe have gotten off task and and we, we worry about the things we really shouldn't be worrying about, we're on a mission. How many times have you heard Christians say, oh, so how many people were in church today? Oh, what, so- what songs did they sing today? Uh, they did that right fast one. Did they did it. But, how long was the sermon today? Which, by the way, I'm almost done. So. Uh, how, how many times do we hear those types of questions? But how, sadly, how few times do we say, how are you doing with making disciples? Who are you pouring into? Who are you praying for that I could also be praying for? Those are the things that leave the eternal impact. Those are the things that Christ goes, yes, that's what I want you focused on. That's your mission. And with the Holy Spirit within us and the power of prayer, our mission is possible. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for your reminder that you are with us on a daily basis, God. Where we couldn't even be standing here today, God, without you. We couldn't even be seen without you. We couldn't even be opening our mouths without you. God, I pray we don't take those small things for granted. Father, we recognize you are great. And Lord, I know all of us in our past have probably had times where we prayed for something and desperately wanted something and and it didn't turn out the way we wanted. But God, we recognize that everything works together for your good and to bring glory to your name. God, we don't always understand everything, and I know that's a simple uh, answer to a very difficult uh, question that many people have. We don't understand your ways all the time, Father, but we do recognize what our mission is here. God, I, I pray that you would give us boldness and empower us so that we can continue being on our mission, sharing you with the lost who desperately need a Savior. God, I pray we wouldn't get deterred We wouldn't get distracted. We wouldn't be disappointed. But God, we would be emboldened and encouraged by your word and by our time spent alone with you. And finally, Lord, I pray for us as a church, as New Village, that we would pray together as a body, God, just desperately pouring out our hearts and souls and and minds, God, just aching for the lost of Lake Grove and of Centerreach and of Smithtown and of our surrounding area here on Long Island. God, you have put us here in a mission field to be reaching the lost. God, I pray we take that responsibility seriously. 
And as we read before, I pray that when you return, we are about the Father's business. God, we want to honor you with our lives, with our words, and with our actions. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.